Welcome to Make It Count, Living a Legacy Life, where we invest in what matters, God and people. I'm Sue Donaldson, speaker, author, and creator of WelcomeHeart.com, where you can learn to know and show the heart of God. And that's what counts. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. I'm so excited today to introduce you to um, Jordan Rayner. He is a best-selling author, entrepreneur. I consider you an entrepreneur. You've run many companies. You have many best-selling books. And the one we're going to talk about today is coming out this very week. And so I'm excited about that. I would call you, Jordan, a time management expert, but one with who is encouraging for people like me who I don't like time management books. They make me feel guilty. I discovered Jordan when I was on his launch team for Created to Create. I recommended that book all over the place. And now he has a new book out, which we're going to be talking about a lot this uh, half hour. October 19th. Is that right, Jordan? Is it coming out? October, it. October 19th. And it has, and when I heard that it, uh, the title, I was so excited that you were willing to be on my podcast because you. as you uh, listeners know, it's make it count living a legacy life. And the theme verse is Ephesians 5.16, one of the theme, two theme verses, redeem the time for the days that are evil, which is, has kind of a negative slant to it. You know, the days are evil, but we've been, if you don't think the days are evil, then we're living in a box. So I consider that your new book is a reader's digest of time management tools. And this is really the only book that people need if they're followers of Christ. Uh, but I would add that it's above and beyond that because it's based on the gospel. And I think I'm going to let you talk in just a second, but I was thinking while reading it. That no, I please think, don't. I want you to just keep going. This is the best <laughs> pitch for the book ever. No, I think that you could have called your book Time Management Theology. It's like when I write about hospitality, my sister says, Sue, it's hospitality theology because it's based on how God welcomed us. And this is based on how God manages his time, if you can imagine yeah. that. Or another, another title I really liked was the, the, that I made up, the, the Gospel of a Wildly Productive Life, because we all want to be wildly productive. We want to leave a legacy, <clears throat> but based in the gospel is how we'll go about it. So to begin, Jordan, if you could tell us a little bit about your family, uh, where you're from, and your work in ministry, and then we're going to talk about the book and uh, legacy questions. Go ahead, Jordan. Sounds great. So, Sue, thanks for that great introduction. Uh, my name is Jordan Rayner. I live in Tampa, Florida with my wife of 12 years, Kara. And we have three little girls, Ellison, who's seven, Kate, who's five, and Emery, who is about to turn two. We adopted her about two years ago. Wow. Uh, so love life. Uh, and my ministry, my mission in life is to help other Christians connect the gospel to their work to help them oh. see the work that they do is deeply meaningful to God and to others. And this book is an extension of that, right? If we believe right. that our work matters, uh, then we'll want to redeem our time for the glory of God and the good of others, not for our own selfish pursuits, but for the advancement of the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. There we go. Tell us why you wanted to write this particular book and how has it made a difference in how you live? I mean, I read all your examples but my listeners don't know those examples. So just tell me, um, how has that made you more productive? Yeah. And I don't mean having children, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I have been a lifelong student of time management. We are, we are different personality types, Sue. You're, I'm an ENTJ. I still love you. Skill. I still love you. It's you still okay. love me. And NTs, uh, NTs are great because they collect um, things that they can do well. 
So that's exactly right. Yes, yeah. that's exactly right. So uh, I've always been obsessed with this topic. Uh, I've read 40-ish books on this topic over my career. Wow. And there's two big things that have really frustrated me with these types of books. Number one, they are based on what I would call works-based productivity, right? Pick right. up any time management book and the message is largely going to be, <clears throat> hey, you're stressed, you're feeling overwhelmed, follow my system, do exercises X, Y, and Z, and then you will find peace. But Sue, you know, as Christ followers, we start with peace. Mm -hmm. We can operate from this place of what I call in the book, grace-based productivity, that through Christ, we have peace with God, Romans 5.1, that is secure regardless of how productive we are. Right, right. Now, we do time management exercises X, Y, and Z as a response of worship, but we don't do them to get peace. We already mm. have peace. We do it in response to that peace. So that was the first reason why I wrote this book. The second reason, which you alluded to a few minutes ago, is that I have never read a book that accounted for how the author of time managed his time mm. when he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. This is crazy, right? Like we, 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 especially in the church, we read the gospels for their theology mm -hmm. and for their ethics, which are good. Of course, there's a lot of that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We forget these books are also biographies of how the most productive person who ever lived, lived his life, Jesus Christ, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I looked through the gospels and said, all right, what are the things that stick? What are the, not, not the hacks, but how did the author of time, what were the principles of how Jesus stewarded his 33 years on earth and how can we apply those principles to our lives today? And that's the book. So this has been a life-changing journey for me. Um, and I do feel that on the whole, I am purposeful. I am very present with my work, with my family. And uh, I think I'm a pretty productive guy. And I would argue all of that describes our Redeemer uh, in Jesus Christ himself. So I'm just trying to steward my time the way he stewarded his. And in this book, I'm trying to help others do the same. Well, one thing I thought of when we were first married, we're, the main thing we um, argued about was money. And so we did this whole envelope system, you know, and this money was for the food and this for the diapers, this for whatever. And some friends of mine were worried about me, like I was being uh, threatened with my womanhood or whatever. And I said, no, that means I have this envelope of freedom that I have all this extra $150 that I can go do what I want. And so Absolutely. when you talked about stewarding your time in the same way, why don't we do that? I thought that is genius. I don't tell my time what to do. I usually am run by my to-do list. So that was so freeing for, for me. So I appreciate yeah. that. Oh, yeah. It, it, you know, it's, I think most people are on board with this idea of budgeting money. Yeah. Uh, but time is the most finite resource in the world, exactly. right? Like you so can true. make, you know, by the grace of God, we yeah. can earn more money. We can't yeah. earn more time. But very few people in my experience, have thought about giving every minute of their day a name before God blesses them with a fresh wow. uh, supply of minutes the next morning. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's part of what I'm doing in the book. The book kind of culminates uh, in the final chapter where I try to help people build a time budget that allows them to be busy without being hurried. And I think that's mm -hmm. what we all want. We want to be wildly productive, but we don't want to be frantic and anxious mm -hmm. and hurried as we do it. Uh, I know that's been a lifelong goal of mine. I think I've learned a lot to that end. It's part of what I'm sharing in this book. Um, what I love that you kept repeating in the book, and I thought, oh, I think I'm supposed to pay attention to this because he said it more than once and I'm not 
going to repeat it correctly, but this is what came to me this morning. We want to do whatever it is you're telling us to do so that we produce wildly and richly for the glory of God and the good of others. Now, Jordan, that was convicting, not because I haven't been living that way. I I also want to do those two things, to uh, live for the glory of God and for the good of others. I hope I do that. But I've never seen that I could do more, Hmm. do more than what I'm doing without getting an ulcer um, (laughs) for others in God's kingdom if I would manage my time better. Tell us a little bit about that. When did you first sense this conviction that you, Jordan, at whatever age you are, 39 or something, I'm 69, but I still feel I have some things left to give God, but I also feel like maybe I want to lay back and relax a little bit too. (laughs) And so when did you feel this conviction that you could do more in less time or that you should do more? That's that's God saying to us, hey, this is an act of obedience that we redeem our time better. 100%. Tim Keller uh, was commenting on Ephesians 5.16 and said, time stewardship is a command. Oh, I love that. I, 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 I love do believe that. it's a biblical mm-hmm. command. We are called that the, the word that we translate to redeem uh, and redeeming the time means to buy up, to ransom. Paul is commanding that we be diligent in buying up as much time as we can so that we can do more good works for others, right? And I think what motivated me to this end is number one, I think this is what you see in the example of Christ in the gospels. Jesus worked incredibly hard, right? Mm-hmm. There's one scene in which his family uh, worries that he's so busy that he's out of his mind in the gospels, right? And you also see this in the life of Paul, right? All mm-hmm. throughout Paul's letters, one of the things he talks about the most beyond, of course, our salvation by grace alone uh, is how hard he worked, right? Mm-hmm. Colossians 3.23, you see this all throughout 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and 2 Thessalonians. He says he strenuously contended with all the energy he had Mm -hmm. for the sake of the gospel. As Christians, we are not saved to sit back and consume. We are saved to lean forward and create good things and good works uh, that serve others well and ultimately bring glory to the Father. Without feeling frantic. Yeah, without Without feeling frantic. And that's a hard line, right? Yeah, it is a hard line. I love this line. The gospel frees us from the need to be productive. God doesn't need us to finish our to-do list. Um, but are we giving a pass to those who never finish a product, like a project kind of like, I don't want to say anything bad, but my husband, we've been remodeling for 13 years. And every once in a while I'll say, so when do you want to get backsplash for the kitchen, honey? I say it really nicely and I give him an extra cup of coffee. But um, do we just give someone a pass when we say, hey, God, finish that later. I'm going to go to the beach. I think, I think we always run that risk. Yeah, I, I, I believe wholeheartedly that the gospel, when 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 truly understood is a double-edged sword of rest and ambition. I totally agree that. I agree with that. So we understand that God doesn't need us to be productive because Jesus Christ has declared us a co-heir with him, right? By grace alone. Uh, So we don't, we don't, we have no need ultimately to be productive, but when you understand that, um, I think it leads us to want to be wildly productive because we want to make happy and bring joy Mm -hmm. to the one who's given us that ultimate sense of security and peace. Did did you ever watch, um, did you ever watch American Idol? 
I don't oh, know yeah. if the show's even still around. Okay, so I think this is like the best picture of this I've ever seen. Every time there was a finale on the show, you get two contestants going head to head for the title of the next American Idol. And they would always sing a couple of songs and then the people would vote and then they would declare a winner. And then after they declared the winner, the winner would sing again. They would sing one of the songs that they had sung before. They would sing it after they had been declared the winner. And their countenance and their posture and their face and the anxiety, it was so different pre mm-hmm. and post being declared the winner. Prior to being declared the winner, they had something to prove. They oh, had something yeah. to lose. They had something to win and they're nervous and you can tell they're sweating. But after they've been declared the victor, they still sing. In fact, they sing with even more energy, but they sing without any stress or anxiety because they've already been declared the American Idol. Mm-hmm. That's a picture of what the gospel should lead us to do. We've been declared children of God, but that should lead us to go out in the world and take big swings and do great work for the good of others and ultimately to bring our Father great glory. See, and I think, um, you know, once we're believers, Satan really can't take us away from the Father's hand, but he takes us away from the Father's rest. When we get mixed up, when we flip that, I've talked to people who are in a religion versus a relationship. And just last Friday, a woman at my table saying, well, doesn't God want us to be good like Jesus? And I knew her background a little bit. So I kept saying, yes, but we do it out of response to what he's already done for us. Can you grasp that? I think it's going to take a lot of Fridays to get that switched or the Holy Spirit will reveal it to her as she continues to read, especially Ephesians 2, where we are his workmanship, but we keep working with his... Well, okay. I want to put a fine point on this because you just brought up my favorite passage of all scripture. Oh. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. A lot of times in the church, we memorize verses 8 and 9 and neglect verse 10. Verses Mm -hmm. 8 and 9 says, we have been saved by faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. But So we're saved not by works. But verse 10 says, mm-hmm. the purpose for us being saved is to do good works. Amen. So we're not saved by our works, but we're saved for good works. And mm-hmm. we so miss this in the church. And we're like, oh, well, we're saved not by our works. So I don't need to do anything. I'm just going to rest and kick up my feet until I go home to be with Jesus. Mm-hmm. No, the very purpose of your salvation, the reason why you were created in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, is so that you would do good works and mm-hmm. bring him great glory. And that word works there is a lot of times we think, oh, that means charity. It yeah. means evangelism. And yes, it does. But actually, if you go to your biblical concordance, mine says it means, quote, work, task, and employment. The Ooh. job you do when mm-hmm. done with excellence and love are good works mm-hmm. done to the glory of God. Uh, maybe I think of a couple of things. I was a full-time missionary briefly before I got married. And um, I had a girlfriend say, you know, Sue, I feel kind of bad because you always wanted to be a missionary and now you're just married. And I said, well, you know, people need Jesus who live in my town, believe me. And we're a missionary where we are. So it doesn't really matter what my uh, vocation is or my job is, as long as my vocation is to follow Christ. Also, a friend of mine said, you know, she didn't really want to follow Christ because she saw that there were too many rules. And I said, no. I didn't say no, but I was trying to explain it. (laughs) I said, actually, I want to be a good person and be like Jesus as a response to what he's done for me. So then it's out of joy. Second Corinthians 5.15 there. Um, A related question. How is Jesus so productive with his time? Because you say that over and over again. Just give me a couple examples. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, <laughs> today, a significant percentage of the world's population is still following Jesus uh, 2,000 years later. So I think it's pretty hard to dispute that he was productive. How he did it, hmm. uh, I think, gets to the seven principles in this book, right? Number one, uh, the first principle in the book is start with the word. Jesus prioritized time with the Father above sleep, above eating, above mm. fellowship with his friends, above his work. It was time with the Father. And if he needed that, we need it so much more. Mm. Uh, I won't list all seven principles, but another one that I think is critical to Jesus's uh, impactfulness is principle number three in the book, this principle called descent from the kingdom of noise, mm. uh, a phrase I borrow from C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters. We are living at an incredibly noisy time of nonstop news, of nonstop pinging of our phones and email inboxes. And that stands in stark contrast to Jesus. Go look throughout the Gospels. The number of times the Gospels mention Jesus withdrawing to lonely or solitary places is staggering. And as mm -hmm. scientists will tell you, Christian or not, silence, solitude, boredom is critical for our ability mm -hmm. to think our ability to be creative. And as Christians, we know our ability to listen to God's voice, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's a crucial habit totally. that Jesus displays that enabled him to be so wildly productive. I have stopped playing music in the van. My kids uh, commented on it and they said, mom, why aren't you playing music? I, go, I have to hear myself think yes. or God. God may want to try to get through there and he can't and they don't quite get it. That's okay. They'll, God will have to speak through a, a more noise with them. Also, I speak to a lot of mom's groups and I always like to encourage them, but Jesus took naps and maybe the main thing wrong with their day is that they don't sleep when their kids are sleeping. And that's hard to do because we want to get things done when our kids are finally leaving us alone. Not that we don't love them. Um, a related question is, how is Jesus our answer to time management? My to-do list that I like to say is that number one on my to-do list is to relate well with God. And number two is everything else. Yes. So I kind of well understood said. what you were saying there, but then you were helping me in those following chapters, how to do that, everything else. I really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. 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 It is it, right on the first page of the book. I make this claim that Jesus does solve our time management problems. And I, I use, um, is the story, the account of Jesus in the storm with the disciples in Luke 8, to mm -hmm. make this point. Uh, one of the, if you, if you talk to somebody really struggling with time management, really overwhelmed, a lot of times, and this is especially true with parents of young children, the word they will use is, I am swamped, yes. right? And Luke 8, I love that Luke uses this word, or we translate it to this word. He says that the disciples, when they're out in the Sea of Galilee and the storm comes, their boat was, quote, being swamped mm. by the wind and waves. Uh, and I would argue that the solution to the disciples being swamped by the wind and waves is the exact same solution to us being swamped by our to-do list. And it is Jesus, right? Number one, as we've already touched on, Jesus gives us peace before we do a single thing. Mm. The disciples didn't do anything to get unswamped from the storm. They trusted the God man in the boat to still it. We got to do the same thing. Jesus has given us peace regardless of how productive we are. That gives us deep soul level peace that no other time management system or methodology can give you. And number two, Jesus shows us how God would steward his time. This is a radical idea. You know, we talk a lot in our churches about how Jesus was 100% God. And of course that's true, but he was also 100% man. This is the doctrine of the incarnation. And we don't think about that enough. Jesus was constrained 
to the same 24-hour period of time that you and I were. And yet, because he was infallible God, we can assume that he managed his time perfectly. But how many of us have studied the Gospels through this lens to look at what are the habits Mm. of Jesus and how he spent his 24 hours? That's the heart of this book, is helping Mm. people see that and then apply that to their lives in a very different context here in the 21st century. Mm. If someone isn't a follower of Christ, is it a waste of time to give them this book? I'll say this. I I could have written this book um, for a much broader audience. I wrote it for the church. Um, But here's the beauty of it. Again, I mentioned this a few minutes ago. I know a lot of non-Christians who I've talked to about this book who do not argue with me that Jesus was the most productive person who's ever lived. And so I think that person... I think that person could get on board with this idea to say, okay. yeah, look, at I, I can accept this. But here's the deal. This whole book is really just a way of preaching the gospel I, in, I in a different way, right? And uh, and so um, I think a non-Christian would pick that up. I think they'd be offended by the gospel because the gospel is offensive. offensive. But maybe it's a way for them to latch on to the gospel message, right? Told, for the first I, time yeah. and, and bring them to Christ. And Man, blessed be the name of the Lord if that happens. That would be incredible. Well, I see this as a great evangelical evangelism tool. Oh, yeah, because I have daughters who date young men who could really benefit from yeah. every aspect of this book. So I can't wait yeah. till Christmas. So I'll be buying yeah. more. Um, you talk about God's agenda. What is that? And do you see a separation between secular and spiritual work? Because I think Christians get hung up on that. I don't either. Oh my gosh, we do. Uh, This Mm -hmm. is a huge problem in the church. This is why my mission in life is to help Christians connect the gospel to their work, right? Jesus saved us not to sit back and consume, but to work. His agenda Mm -hmm. is good works. Jesus Mm -hmm. said, be salt and light, that they would see your good works and give glory to the Father. I think the most beautiful picture I've ever seen of this – comes from uh, an unexpected place of John chapter 20. Um, Jesus has risen from the dead. Hallelujah. He appears to Mary Magdalene. Uh, and there's this tiny little detail only recorded in John that we always skip over at Easter. We don't pay enough attention to. It says that Mary mistook Jesus for the gardener. What's going mm-hmm. on there? I heard N.T. Wright, the great New Testament theologian, preach on this recently, and it blew my mind. He said, this isn't some insignificant detail. It's in scripture. Of course, it's there intentionally. John is pointing us back. John and Jesus are pointing us back to the first garden, to the first Adam. Genesis 1, the biblical narrative of work, is that work was good. God created Adam and Eve to work the garden pre-sin, prior to the fall. And the command was fill and subdue the earth. Take this blank canvas I created in Genesis 1 and fill it up and create a world out of it, right? We sinned, we screwed everything up, but Jesus, on that first Easter, resurrected, right, inaugurates the final creation, this last Adam inaugurating the final creation. And why is he showing up as a gardener? To remind us that it's time to garden again. Adam, the first Adam didn't garden alone. He had his bride, Eve to help him cultivate creation. Jesus, the last Adam, has his bride, the church, to work and help bring about the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's his agenda. 
His agenda is that the kingdom would come in its fullness. He could have done that on Easter. He could have brought the kingdom here forever as the, as the disciples were expecting in Acts 1. But he said, no, I'm not going to do that. You're going to help build this. You're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And our work plays a part in that process. Hmm. I love that. And that that should make us so excited to go to work every day. And if we're not, yes. we're in the same, we're in the wrong job or we have the wrong perspective. A professor told me once, spirituality isn't a slice of the pie. It's the whole pie. And when I think about that, even when I'm making pies, I think, okay, I'm doing this to the glory of God and the good of man, even though my husband won't eat dessert, but other people do. I like I a little- eat, I will eat your pies. I will send, send a it pie to you. To I will. I will I'll do eat that. it. <laughs> I like alliteration. You chose these three words beginning with P, living purposefully, present, and wildly productive. Why did you include the word present? Oh, man, that's a great question. Because I think Jesus displayed this remarkable ability in the Gospels to be fully present with one important thing at a time, right? And that is something we all need today. You know, think about this. For 33 years, omnipresent God became unipresent. I'm not sure that's a word. In the person of Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think it is. No, but that's wild. But you see this, you see this time and time again, Mm -hmm. right? Jesus would, uh, this is what he was commanding Mary and Martha to do when he's at their house, right? Few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Martha's distracted by many things. Uh, Mary was focused on just one. And that's not to say that, you know, we have to be, sitting at the feet of Jesus every minute of the day. I don't think that's the point there. It's, hey, stop being so frantic. Stay focused on one thing at a time. So there's this remarkable example of Jesus all throughout the Gospels. And this is so contrary to the way we live our lives today. We're with our families, but our phones are going off with email notifications from work. We're at work, uh, and our kids are constantly interrupting us as we're all working from home now, right? Right. Uh, To do our most exceptional work, in service of others, we've got to figure out how to model Jesus's unipresence, his ability to focus on one thing at a time. Uh, and in that chapter of the book, it's chapter five, I outline four practices uh, for what that looks like here in the 21st century. Uh, and it's been it's been fun walking through that with early readers of the book and seeing how life-changing those practices have been. Can I ask you to repeat that yeah. line? To do our most exceptional work, we need mm-hmm. to learn to... Yeah, we need to learn to be fully present with one person and one task at a time, right? The science on this is totally indisputable. There's an overwhelming amount of scientific evidence that says that multitasking isn't a thing. I think we all know this by Mm -hmm. now, right? We know this isn't a real thing, Uh, but very few people have the tools Uh, in place to help them stay fully focused on one important thing at a time. And the biggest culprit in this are external distractions, Mm -hmm. push notifications on our phone, text messages, nonstop emails, nonstop news. Uh, And so in the book, I give readers very practical tools for putting those things in their place so you can be fully focused on your family, on your friends, on your coworkers, on whatever is right there in front of you, just like Jesus. Yeah, that was so practical and helpful. I had a, had um, coffee with a friend yesterday, and she taught me how to 
fix my phone so that I didn't yeah. have notifications except for yeah. emergency contact numbers. Because yes. I'm always writing my kids, don't call me, I'm recording. They go, mom, yes. you can do something on your phone. I go, I don't know. I don't have time to learn that. <laughs> so I learned it yesterday. Thank you. Now, some folks reading this book may have more trouble figuring out number one, their mission, because they've never thought they had one other than putting food on the table and retiring as soon as possible in a relatively good lifestyle. What would you say to them if they haven't figured out their mission? Yeah, so um, chapter four of the book is all about prioritizing your yeses, modeling Jesus' ability to take the many things he could be doing and whittling it down to things we should be doing to focus on the work that God has given us to do. Uh, and essential to do that, before you can prioritize your on the ground to do is you got to get clear on what your mission is. And the good news is uh, this isn't something we get to define. Right? Like we didn't make ourselves. God right. made us. He gets to define our mission in life. And our mission is quite broad. It's to bring him glory, period, right? You see this all throughout scripture. That's the mission of your life, right? Now, level down from there are callings, right? Things that we choose, that God has given us freedom to choose what type of work, what type of things we're going to be engaged in in this life for his glory. But the mission yeah, that's just not in the category, I don't think, of things we get to define. Our mm. mission is to glorify God, period, full stop. And to me, that's freeing, right? Because now I don't have to worry about what it is. Now I just have to worry about, okay, what unique expression am I going to choose in order to bring glory to God? Am I going to be a writer? Am I going to be a quote-unquote full-time missionary? Am mm. I going to be uh, a, a stay-at-home parent? What is that going to be? But God in his great graciousness, I think, has given us a lot of freedom to make those choices so long as they are in accordance with his word. I totally agree. And I'm people put different values on different callings. And yes. I don't think they should. I think if you're called to be either. a baker, or you're called to be a stay-at-home mom, that's the best thing you could do right now. Maybe your yeah. next book can be about that. Um, my favorite part uh, of the book was your discussion of deep work. Yeah. Uh, even though I'm a wildly crazy extrovert, I can sit at my computer for two hours. In fact, I've had to set the timer on the microwave so I actually get up and turn it up so that my back doesn't hurt. So just to exercise, but um, what do you mean by deep work and how can we best produce deep work? And why is that important even? I mean, for someone who's not a writer, I am a writer and a speaker and all that jazz, but so I do need quiet, deep work. But what do you mean by that for this person who, who perhaps pumps gas or I guess they don't do that anymore. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. Uh, everyone in every vocation needs some amount of deep work in mm. order to do their most exceptional work. Now, we need varying degrees of it. Writers need a lot more of it than, say, customer service people who are supposed to be on the phone and, and operating, quote-unquote, in the shallows all day long, right? right. Uh, but we all need deep work. And deep work, uh, this is made famous by a great book by Cal Newport, uh, who wrote a great endorsement for Redeeming Your Time. But uh, Cal defines deep work as activities performed in a distraction-free environment, right? So... Um, outlining a chapter of a book without email notifications or your phone going off. That's deep work. The ability to stay fully focused on one thing at a time. And critical to doing this, right, is the ability to put, to take control over when you check incoming messages. It's critical, right? And in the book, one of the 32 practices in the book, is mm -hmm. I show you exactly how to do it and I'll just share it with your listeners right, right. now. Step one, 
in order to take control over when you're going to check your messages, you got to choose when you're going to check your messages every single day, right? And what's way more important than the number of times you check your messages is that you just make a choice and you choose when you're going to check them. You don't allow push notifications and emails pinging in your the right-hand corner of your uh, of your desktop to choose. You got to choose when you're going to check messages. Second, build a list of your VIPs, right? For you, Sue, that's your, that's your kids. My kids don't have cell phones, so they're not calling me up. But my kids' schools, that's on my VIP list, right? My wife, my assistant, my team, they're on my VIP list. And as you just talked about a minute ago, you can add them to Do Not Disturb on your phone. So that when you turn your phone on Do Not Disturb so that you can do deep work, calls from your VIPs and your VIPs alone will come through. So you're inviting them to interrupt your deep work because you want to make exceptions for those people in your life, right? So step one, choose when you're going to check messages every day. Step two, build a list of VIPs. And then finally, step three, you got to set clear expectations about your response time with others. For example, you got to go to your VIPs. You can't just cold turkey, stop checking your messages and responding immediately. You got to go to your kids. You got to go to your family. You got to go to your friends and your coworkers and say, hey, listen, from here on out, I'm only checking messages at, I don't know, 10 a.m., 1 p.m., and 4 p.m. Uh, if you need me urgently outside of those times, call me on my cell. Mm-hmm. Here's the number. There you go. If you do those things, wow. that it is one of the most life-changing <clears throat> practices in the entire book. I, I, I talked to somebody a week after he implemented this practice. He's like, Jordan, I am twice as productive, easily as I was the week before I did this. 100% increase in productivity for this guy. Uh, Hmm. It's life-changing. Wow. I know it's kind of scary for me because I like to check things all the time, but I know it throws me off my game. And I keep saying, well, I just don't have time to finish this book that I'm trying to write. It must not be important to God because I'm not really getting any strength from Him. And I'm laying it all at everybody else's feet. I love what you said too about how people don't really care that you haven't gotten back to them. Unless it's my kids saying, mom, I need this. But that's different. And you already covered that. They don't care. They don't uh, if, care. You, if you if you just stop responding to messages immediately, I can almost guarantee you nothing of significant negative consequence <laughs> will happen. Nothing will happen. I, I had a guy, That's I had a so guy funny. on my podcast, this guy named Ronnie Andrews. He's the CEO of a public company, right? You would think this guy's tethered to his phone all the time. He's like, I turn my phone off Friday at five o'clock and I don't turn it on again until Monday morning. That's crazy. That's so crazy. crazy. And I said, I was like, Ronnie, how long have you been doing this? Like a couple of years. I was like, how many times did you miss something truly important? Zero times. Zero times. That's amazing. Let that be an encouragement to all of you. That is so great. Now, as you know, my podcast is um, Making It Count. What do you see as your legacy? I mean, I could write down a million things already, but I want to hear from you. What do you see as your legacy and how are you living it out right now? My legacy is to convince every, what I want it to be, Lord willing, I want every Christ follower on the planet to understand that the work they do as entrepreneurs, as marketers, as janitors, as stay-at-home parents, as teachers, matters deeply to God, matters deeply to others. It is a part of gardening the final creation that Jesus inaugurated at Easter. That's what I want my legacy to be. How mm-hmm. am I doing that? It's the core of everything I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, from, I mean, listen, you saw that messaging right there in chapter one of Redeeming Your Time. It's it's baked into all my books, 
all of my podcasts, the core mission of helping Christ Christ connect the gospel to the work. That's what everything is about. It's what redeeming your time is all about. That's what I'm passionate about. And that's how I'm fulfilling and chasing down that legacy. I think the Lord has called me to, to help contribute to leaving. Do you get to do public speaking a lot? Cause you're really good. Yeah. You know, you're very kind. Uh, <laughs> I actually don't like it. Uh, to be totally honest with you. And I, I intentionally am not doing that much of it because I've got really young kids. Uh, uh, and in this season of life, yeah, I've just chosen not to do very much of it because I want to be home with them. Yeah. I was reading the book about how you have this designated time from five to seven 30 or something like that at night so yeah. that you could help your wife do dishes. And I thought, why didn't I have this book 30 years ago? When <laughs> Daughter was two and Mark, my husband's a doctor and it was hard to find him at home, you know, bless his heart. Yeah. Um, what changes did you have to make or obstacles did you have to overcome to begin fulfilling this passion of legacy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I spent the first 10 years of my career as a tech entrepreneur. Uh, I started and sold a few different companies and most recently, I was running a company as CEO, grew from you know five to 120 people in two and a half years. And I stepped down as CEO, uh, which a lot of people told me was crazy. But I did it because I knew I couldn't do that thing and the thing I'm doing now, mm-hmm. creating all this content. I couldn't do both exceptionally well. I had to put all of my eggs in one of those baskets. Uh, and that was a really... <clears throat> really hard decision, mm. but man, I'm so glad. I mean, I love that company. I still serve as chairman of the board, <clears throat> but um, it was the right decision because I think we all need increasing amounts of focus in our lives to mm. really sink our teeth into the things that God has called us to do. We got to make hard choices. I think the people who have the greatest impact in this world make really hard choices between equally good things. They choose one and go really, really big on it. Uh, so that was a huge change, a huge obstacle I had to overcome in order to focus on this work I'm doing today. Well, if I were your mother, I'd be saying, I'm so proud of you because I think that's such a difficult decision. We wrote uh, something about someone writing 25 things they wanted to do, and then they had to get rid of 20 yeah. of them. And I thought oh, that would kind of freak me out to have to get rid of 20. I also read a book by a famous author a few years ago, and I was kind of offended because she wrote that someone came to her door for something and she didn't let them in. And because I'm all about welcoming people in, I thought, well, I think that was kind of wrong, but she was doing it because she was finishing the book that I was reading. And so she was focused on what God had given her to do. And I thought, well, I'm just not her personality. But I think what you're talking about now is encouraging me to, the reason I started Make It Count is because I thought, well, you know, I may have 15 to 20 more years of cognitive viability where I could even spell it or say it, much less be it. And so I want to make my life count even more. So to produce that, I will have to close my door sometimes. Yeah. Not all the time. And Not I think all the secular, I, I, I think, I think conventional wisdom out in the world about this idea of saying no is just doesn't ring as true to a lot of Christians because mm. it's incredibly self-serving, right? Like the, the conventional wisdom is unless it's, it, unless it's going to help you with your goals, you say no every time. It's like, mm. yeah, that wasn't Jesus, Jesus example, way, right? Like <laughs> right. it's it just, you know, and listen, to be clear, sometimes he said, no, go check out 
Mark yeah. chapter one, but other times he said yes to interruptions for his time. And so it, it, it doesn't leave us with a clean answer and we don't like that, but that's reality. Jesus mm-hmm. is reality. And thus his approach to saying yes and saying no is reality, is truth. We got to wrestle with that. And in the book, I outline what I hope are some helpful questions in helping us all discern when to oh, say yeah. yes and when to say no, but it's not as simple as I got to finish this book. So I'm going to say no every time. Uh, right. I, it's just self-serving and, and out of line with Jesus's character. Yeah. I just think it's a surprise to some Christians that you're allowed to say no. Uh, yeah, totally. a, a speaker I heard years ago said there's something called the sanctified no. And I've used it yeah. so much because I do speak on this topic, yeah. even though I'm not so great on it all the time, but to say no, but to say it graciously and then to offer yes. them value. That was one thing yes. that you said, you know, I could uh, set you up with a friend of mine. I really can't help you with that. And I can't help yes. you. And like, I got an email today and it was during my deep work time. So I guess I shouldn't have read it, but I just thought, uh, I just wrote her back. She goes, can we talk today? Because I'm speaking at her conference yeah. this weekend. I said, yes, after 2.30. And yes, so that made me, th- it was no big deal to her. No, it was big, no deal. big deal to her, you know, and uh, not that I'm this important, self-important person. We are just trying to obey God and do our best. Um, what action points or wisdom would you like to leave with my listeners? Because we are closing up. Redeem your time. Ephesians 5.16. Listen, if It's been a horrible two years in our world, right? That has reminded us of what James says in James 4, that this life is but a mist, Mm. right? We got to make it count. And the way we make it count is by redeeming Mm. our time, by getting super intentional about how we are spending the most finite resource that God has given us. Time management is not quote unquote secular. Good time management, gospel centric Time management is one of the most godly things you could do in response to the gospel. Think about the context of Ephesians 5, right? Ephesians 1 through 4 is all Paul preaching the gospel. Ephesians 5, 1, uh, Paul reminds us of our status as adopted children of God and then goes on to basically say, hey, part of our response to that, of our adoption as children of God, is to redeem the time because your life matters. You're not here to coast. Uh, you are not, you're not saved by works, but you are saved for mm-hmm. works, right? right? And redeeming our time is part of our responsibility. Yeah. Our pastor likes to say, you don't retire, you retread. So you just do it, things differently when there are different seasons of life. The Bible uh, says to redeem the time, but it also says to teach us to number our days uh, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And I'm thinking that would be wise for all of us to buy this book. I remember highly recommending it. I learned a lot and I appreciate the self-discipline that it took for you to write this book and to live it out. So you can connect with Jordan at jordanrainer.com. I'll be putting that in show notes. And um, also just before we close up, Jordan, say a word about a word before work ministry. Yeah, sure. They can sign up for. So so say two things. One, we have a free weekly devotional that goes out every Monday morning to help you connect the gospel to your work. It's called Word Before Work. Uh, Just go to jordanrainer.com and you'll see it right there. One other thing I'll add, since we're releasing this the week the book comes out, um, I don't pre-order books. I think that's a weird thing to do. The book comes out October 19th. If you order Redeem Your Time before October 23rd, you can also enter to win this trip I'm giving away to Jerusalem. I'm going to send somebody and the guests of their choice to go walk where Jesus walked. The whole book is about walking like Jesus walked. Mm. So I'm going to help people go to the Holy Land, walk where Jesus walked. And if you're not comfortable, I, I get a lot of us are not comfortable traveling internationally right now. So I'm going to give you three years 
to use that trip. Uh, or I'll just give you a prize of equivalent cash value. So just yeah. go pre-order the book on Amazon, wherever books are sold, and then go to jordanrainer.com. You could take me up on that offer. Fabulous. Well, you have been so inspiring and a blessing to me personally. And I thank you for your time. For your time. Oh, you, you redeemed so. it. Well, you redeemed yeah. it. Well. <laughs> Mutually redemptive yeah. use of our time. Yeah. And we will be giving away a copy of this book. So if you Love leave it. a comment awesome. on the show notes uh, page or on Instagram this week, then uh, you'll be entered to win. And I thank you so much for your generous generosity. Thanks. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.